Oh, hi. <laughs> Didn't see you there. Um, this is part 13 of Carl Jung's The Black Books. As you can see, this is itself a black book. And uh, yeah, so I'm back. I'm older. I had uh, my birthday celebration. Here's Fontainas. Fontainas. I have no idea what you're seeing right now. Um, and I swear, Editor Edward, that's all I'm going to make you do today. I really feel like we're excessively wonky today, so I'm going to do a little bit of adjusting. Um, it still feels wonky. Do you feel wonky? I feel wonky. Let me just do a little more. All right. That feels less wonky. Is it less wonky? Um, so, yeah. It was fun. I... Uh, I'm officially old. I mean, I'm officially an adult. Why? Because this was the first year in my entire life that I didn't have these little birthday candles on my cake. Um, why do I have little birthday candles right next to me? Mind your own business. Um, no, I uh, the, the night before you know, when midnight was approaching. We stopped at this place called Cumcock, Funcock, Fun, Funcock. There it is. And uh, it's a bakery. And I got butters, one slice of butterscotch cake, one slice of Dutch chocolate cake, and one slice of what appeared to be like Oreo ice cream cake, but it turned out that it was some other white thing that looked like ice cream. I mean, I should have known because it wasn't melting and it wasn't in a freezer now that I think about it. And while we were there, it was a sort of festive place. So they had birthday hats. Um, so I got myself a birthday hat and I was planning to wear it uh, today, actually, right here on this, on this uh, part 13. But I left it in our room at Afonso guest house. Al, not Alfonso, Afonso. See, Portuguese is just a little different from Spanish. Anyway, um, so, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I forgot my birthday hat. And like after like 10 minutes of driving, Pew was like, uh, are you sad because of your birthday hat? And I was like, yeah. So the taxi driver um, offered to go get it. He said, call the hotel tell them you forgot the birthday hat and I'll go get it. And so I called and they were like, oh, we threw it away. And then they went and got it out of the trash and the driver, uh, he's a friend of mine. He's gonna pick it up. Cause that's the kind of guy I am. And I was in a little bit of a better mood after that. Shall I get to the reading? That's what you came for, isn't it? Hi Clayton, hi Robbie. Um, hi, anyone else? Uh, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. All right. Um, I'll get to it. You remember last time there was some kind of proclamation of a new world order or something? What was it? To this God, man shall pray. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, any Thalamites watching. Um, I think this was an influence on Crowley, not the other way around. Am I wrong? Am I right or am I wrong? Which came first, 
the book of the law or uh, whatever this is, um, where, where Carl Jung said that every person has a star and that that is their individual God. Comment below. Inquiring minds want to know. The train says hello. Wow, I'm rhyming all over the place. This episode, oh, by the way, if, uh, if this is your first time here, you can click there and uh, watch the first 12 first. This episode is brought to you by Schlong. I don't know, it's backwards, it's hard to read. Um, yeah, got, got the S-M-R-I-A-M-Q happening here. No, I won't be slurping into the microphone. At least I'll do my best not to. Okay, shall I... Uh, you want me to get to the reading? That's fair. And I was going to try not to burp on this program, and I'm drinking soda. That's counterintuitive. I got a haircut. Did you notice? Sixteen further elaborate on this figure, who is <clears throat> revealed as Fanes. Is it Fanes or Fanes? He's Swiss, so I'm thinking Fanes is probably like the the California intuitive pronunciation of something totally else. Um, Fanes. I'm going to call him Fanes. Right or wrong. That's how it's going to be. Thanes first emerged as a golden bird from the... Oh, by the way, we're going to do Haydn today. All right. Um, golden bird, that reminds me of Thoth. Oh, thou of the ibis head, thee I invoke. What in the world no. is that? That sounds like me recording myself about eight years ago on episode 30-something of the Esoteri Nerd podcast. But that couldn't be it, because that would mean that I gave editor Edward more work to do, and I already promised I wasn't going to do that. Moving along. Um, yes, a golden bird from the Tree of Light. Jung's soul... Now... <clears throat> One of my like most important, clear, lucid dreams that I ever had in my whole life, which became the story, the weird story in the middle, like right in the middle of Smaller Mouse. I don't have Smaller Mouse right here, it's over there. But anyway, um, it's the one called And Then I Woke Up. And I had to write a, in little tiny writing at the end that I wrote it in 1991 because it sounds like some kind of paranoid person like talking about the government giving them vaccines because like every five minutes the, uh, the totalitarian government was giving an injection to the protagonist. But it was like a sedative, knocking him out. He'd wake up in another place. But anyway, it was a, an actual dream I had. And it started out with golden birds in a golden tree. 
many golden birds and like golden vines. And I remember, I wrote it down. I, I woke up like before anyone else. It was at my dad's. Um, it was when he was with Sue, my stepmom, and there were two other people there. So I wasn't sleeping in my old bedroom because that now belonged to someone else. You know how it goes when dad remarries. But anyway, um, so I was sleeping on like the floor of the living room in a sleeping bag or something. And uh, probably the last time I ever slept over. But anyway, um, so I got up and I wrote it in pen on, t on paper towels. I got a roll of paper towels. I didn't tear the sheet. I just started writing on the paper towel and unrolled it as I went. So I ended up with this long paper towel thing that was all folded up. And uh, then later when I was putting together... Oh, no, no, like in, in, in uh, senior year of high school, I think, Miss Leidenthal's class, I remembered it. Charles saw images of a golden tree is how it began. I don't know if that's how the version that ended up in Smaller Mouse uh, starts. But it's just odd. Every once in a while I'm noticing, like, these correlations between, like, my own personal experiences and Jung's personal experiences. Not that I think that I'm Jung in a past life or anything. It's just that maybe there's something to this whole collective unconscious thing. That was my Emo Phillips impression. Moving along. A golden bird from the tree of light. Jung's soul identified him as the, quote, ultimate and highest. End quote. It was definitely Thoth, because he's the ultimate and highest, right? The Ka, if you will. Not the same thing exactly, but both fit into the definition being given here to by his soul. Never mind. I mean, he had obviously been reading Egyptian stuff, wasn't? Yeah, the instructions on how to put your ka in someone's ba or put someone else's ka in your ba came from Thoth. So yeah, he was in the current for sure. In the autumn of 1917, Philemon described his luminous splendor in entries that could be considered as further sermons. In 1919, Jung, Jung painted his portrait in Liber Novus as a divine child, noting, uh, quote, I called him Fanes because he is the newly appearing God. End quote. You didn't hear that. And uh, what? I guess someone more learned than myself would be like, oh, right, Fanes, because he's the newly appearing God. Obviously, it's a reference to something. And I don't get it. And I don't think that Sonu is going to explain it. Uh, he considered the emergence of this figure as denoting a spiritual transformation that was occurring in the world. In 1919, he wrote to an English pupil, Jean Corey. Here we go with the tiny font. In the last sermon, you find the beginning of individuation, out of which the divine child arises. Please don't speak of thing, these things to other people and make sure that you burn this letter or hide it in a place where nobody's going to find it and publish it later. That's the last thing I want. 
says Carl Jung. No, I added that last part. It could do harm to the child. Oh, poor Fanes. I hope he's okay. Uh, to uh, the child is fate. Oh, he's fine. <laughs> do harm to fate. I think we should try harder to do harm to fate. The child is fate and amur fati. What's that mean? And guidance and necessity and peace and fulfillment. Parentheses ISA bracket parentheses IAH and bracket parentheses 9.6 and parentheses. Okay. All right. Editor Edward. I'm sorry. I know I said I wasn't going to give you more work than that. Fontaine Haas. Um, not Fontana, Fontaine Haas. Portuguese is a little different, remember? Just a little different. Goa is like California, except instead of a desert, I mean, south of the Sierras, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's tropical. It is on the west coast, and there are beaches. And instead of old Spanish missions, there's old Portuguese missions. And instead of the British having come and kicked all the Spanish out like uh, 150 years after they settled and started building missions. Nobody came and kicked anybody out until the 1960s and it was the Republic of India. So from the 1400s, from the 1490s, until the 1960s, it was Portugal. In the same sense, it wasn't considered a colony. It was considered part of Portugal by Portugal, but there, was, there were movements in Goa that were like, hey, you know what? We're not India. We're not Portugal. We're Goa. Then in India rolled in with their tanks and was like, no, you're not. You're India. And they were like, all right. We don't have as many tanks as you do, so I guess we're India. Uh, I love my adopted country, and I have no issues with uh, anything about it. I'm just going to keep reading now. Um, yeah, have you heard about the Canada thing? I have no opinions. No opinions. Unless you talk to me in person. But on the air, I have no opinions. For no reason. No particular reason. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Editor Edward, could you tell us what, um, um, Amor Fati means? Amor Fati is a Latin phrase which may be translated love of fate or the love of one's fate. Thank you, Editor Edward. Now, would you please recite for us in the new revised standard translation, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I most certainly will not. New Revised Standard? What happened to you? I would, however, be glad to read the Stone Edition translation for you. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Upon the one with the greatness in dominion and the boundless peace 
that will prevail on the throne of David and on his kingdom to establish it and sustain it through justice and righteousness from now to eternity, the zealousness of Hashem, master of legions, will accomplish this. All right. Thank you, Editor Edward. I knew I could count on you. What is that you're wearing? Anyway, okay. Uh, but don't allow yourself to be dispersed into people and opinions and discussions. The child is a new god, capital G, um, actually born in many individuals, but they don't know it. Wow, Carl Jung went from, hey, maybe there's something to all this, to like, in just a few years. He is a, quote, spiritual, end quote, God. He's not religious, he's spiritual. Just kidding. Or am I? A uh, <clears throat> spirit in many people, yet one and the same everywhere. Keep to your time and you will experience his qualities, capital H on the his, by the way. Okay, this is the end of the Jung quote, the private letter to his friend. Oh man, I'm glad I'm not famous and I hope I'm not post-mortem famous because if they dig up some of my private letters, I'll sound like a nut. Anyway, uh, during this period, Jung's soul sought to instruct him with regard to his relations with women. Uh, between 1916 and 1918, references made. Mm, passive voice, are we writing a legal document, Sonu? Mm. Sorry. Uh, references made to the, quote, white one, end quote, and the, quote, black one. End quote. Are these women we're talking about? Um, all right. Respectively, the contexts seem to suggest that these refer to Maria Moltzer and Tony Wolf. Now, admittedly, this is a black and white photo, but why, why is she the black one? I guess maybe that meant something different than what I thought it meant. Okay, all right. I guess I'm the racist then. Uh, in every, in an entry in his dream book of July 2, 1917, Jung referred to his, quote, impersonal love, end quote, of both women, and noted that with them his soul was, quote, complete, comma, fulfilled. Neither of them was his wife. Just a reminder for the people who are just joining us. Anyway, on September 27, 1916, his soul advised as follows, quote, let the black one go. Maybe his soul was a little... No, I'm just kidding. No, ex <clears throat> no excessively deep relation. She is also empty and lives through you. Mm, since you put it that way, it seems like maybe it's good advice. She can't give, you, give to you what you need. 
And quote, the following day, his soul added, apropos the black one, I understand that you love her, but I would like to get rid of her. Four dots. <clears throat> Women are my most dangerous opponents. Since they have my qualities, remember his soul speaks to him in a woman's voice. My grandpa, when he got the minic, it was a, a Hispanic woman, and my mom commented when she was telling me that oh, it might have something to do with the fact that he was kind of racist. His soul appeared to him as a Hispanic woman, a short, older Hispanic woman. Anyway, uh, you know, I mean, he was born in 1915. I think it's relatively difficult to find someone who wasn't a little racist, at least, you know, complaining about property values and, you know, this kind of thing. All right, I also have golden goat eyes. Oh, of course. Doesn't everybody's soul? And a black coat. All right. I place myself between her and you. The white one is less dangerous to you, since she is completely unlike me and of such an adverse nature that you can't at all lose yourself there. All right. I'm glad I don't get messages from my soul. That'd be a little jarring, I think. A year later, his soul had shifted her position with regard to the black one. You know, they say uh, you're not a, a physical body with a soul. You're, you are a soul with a physical body. Jung would be like, no, I'm an I. My soul talks to me in my dreams. And everybody nod, smile, and back slowly toward the door. It's a different time. Anyway, uh, where were we? A year later, yes, she had shifted her position with regard to the black one. Oh, it's always good when your soul who appears to you in dreams as a woman changes her mind about which woman you're allowed to have an affair with. Always good. Every single time. Sorry. On October 22, <clears throat> 1917, she advised... Loveless, the knife. Do you hear? <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I think there's something wrong with the Ouija board. Do you hear? You need the knife. Cut off what is no good. Uh, that sounds like St. Paul. Not the black one. She is good for you. She is quiet and accompanies you. She is necessary for you. I think somebody's pushing the pointer on the Ouija board. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's eye is taken over his soul. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. She is, yes, she is necessary for you. She can be happy if things go well with you. End quote. She advised the opposite concerning the white one. On February 28, 1918, she said, quote, For a long time, I had already advised you to separate from the white one, end quote, Gaslight Munch. 
what was emerging during this period was Jung's understanding of the figure of the anima, man's feminine soul, and the necessity of recognizing the anima as an internal component rather than seeing her in women. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in technical terms, he referred to this as withdrawing and integrating the projection of the anima from women. Right. Okay. Between June 11 and October 2, 1917, Jung was on military service in... Chateau de in Chateau de Oex. Right? Chateau de O, Chateau de Chateau de Sorry. As commander of the English military war internees. That's uh, internees. Like intern with E-E-S at the end. All right, not into her knees, you know what I'm saying? No, no, that'd have to be back in the knees anyway. Around August, he wrote to Smith Ellie Jellif, J-E-L-L-I-F-F-E, that his military service was taking him completely away from his work. And that, but maybe your military service is your work. Mm -hmm. Ever think about that? You? Mm -hmm. A voice from 106 years in the future. That's me. I'm that voice. Sorry. Yes. Uh, and that on his return, he hoped to finish a long paper about the types. He concluded, quote, with us, everything is unchanged and quiet. Everything else is swallowed by the war. The psychosis is still increasing. Yeah, you don't say. Sorry. Going on and on. Yeah, I, I, I noticed. Just kidding. Even, oh sorry, from the beginning of August... To the end of September, I mean, we've all been there, <laughs> let's just say that. He drew a series of mandalas in pencil in his army notebook, which he preserved. The first is titled Fanes, and bears the legend, what? Trent, quote, transformation of matter in the individual, end quote. This image may be seen as an attempt to depict the, quote, newly arising God, end quote, and his relation to the individual. These mandalas are linked to the concurrent fantasies noted in the black books. A number featured complex hieroglyphics that emerged 
and were in turn elucidated in dialogues with the black magician Ha in the autumn of 1917. Who is the black magician Ha? That's H-A. Maybe they'll explain. Jung then painted them in the calligraphic volume of Liber Novus, but they bear no relation to the text. They more properly accompany the autumn dialogues in the black books. Jung later recalled that he did not understand these mandalas, but felt that they were very significant. Beginning on August 20, he drew a mandala on most days. This gave him the feeling that he had taken a photograph of each day. Cool. And he observed how these figures changed. He recalled that he received a letter from, quote, this Dutch woman, end quote, Moltzer, the one, the white woman, right? The white one. Uh, quote, that got on my nerves terribly, end quote. Oh, he's calling her this Dutch woman. <laughs> this woman he's been working with and collaborating with, and she was his assistant and all that. Moltzer argued that, quote, the fantasies stemming from the unconscious possessed artistic, artistic worth and should be considered as art. End quote. Isn't that what his soul said the first time she ever spoke to him? Modern painters were, uh, that's the end of the quote, right? Modern painters were accepting to make art out of the unconscious, and Moltzer's point troubled him because it was not stupid and made him question whether his fantasies were spontaneous and natural. He drew a mandala the next day, and a piece of it was broken off, and the symmetry was destroyed. I think that's a good place to end for today. What do you think? Um, well, that's that. I don't have any thoughts right now that I can think of about that. Um... But uh, one thought I do have is 